Okay, this morning I want, uh, I believe that God would have us and wants to reveal to us. And it's about this booklet that I'm just pretty close to finishing about image. And what God has led me to do is uh, not only to write the book, but to, but to preach it and, and teach it as he reveals it to us. So that's what we're going to do. And, and if God desires a series of that, I think he would because it's so incredible. That would be great. So, where we start is in Genesis, the first chapter. Now, after God had recreated the earth, and we see the difference between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2, because by the time you get to verse 2, if we understand verse 1, God in, in the beginning God created. He would never create anything void. In, in that sense, which would pertain to where there was going to be life. That would, wouldn't happen. Now, but without getting into that, then we see that whole creation, and God is preparing, preparing the earth for man. That's what he was doing. And so by the time we see that, we see when you get to Genesis, the first chapter, verses 1 through 25, you, we come to verse 26. This is our beginning. In verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion. Notice that. Let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. Notice that, over all the earth. And over every creature that crawls upon the earth, or that functions. And so in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. Now we can see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into him, it says, the breath of lives. And when he did that, we see very clearly through the scriptures that he breathed into him. He saw Adam and Eve and Adam. He saw that. Again, we'll get into these things, but that was the type. That was the type of Christ. And he always saw us, the church, his Eve, in the second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. He created him, uh, Adam, with Christ in him. But this is where we had our beginning in our humanity. And notice it says it was created in God's image. That goes into the prayer that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, he said, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. And that's how God sees us first. First and foremost, he sees us as spirit. The reason is he created us, and we're going to see, because God in, in John 4, verse 23, is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. But when you look at verse 24 of John 4, it says God is spirit. It doesn't even say a spirit. God is spirit, and it says, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why he created us in his image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct separate individuals, one in essence. He created us in his image, spirit, soul, and body. Three distinct 
separate parts, but one in essence. The difference between us and everything else that God created that had breath in it. He created them with that, but he only breathed into Adam the breath of lives. And there, of course, obviously is the human spirit. Because all of the creation, all the animals and all those pets that we have that we love so deeply are dichotomous. They're soul and body. You know that everything about them is soul and body. We were created as a trichotomous being, spirit, soul, and body, thereby created in the image of God. So he formed Adam in Genesis 2, verse 7, from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him the breath of lives. All of us had our beginning in him, the first Adam. And that's why we'll see again, by the time we get to this, uh, these chapters, and we'll see this, that in Genesis, even in Genesis chapter 5, and we'll look at that, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this. This is the book, notice what it says, of the generations of Adam. Generation. Had it start. They were generated from Adam, all of us. In the day that God created man. And of course, when he created man, he saw man as male and female. Now, they're distinct and separate, yes, in, in how they operate. But they're one in essence. In the day that God created man, look at what it says, in the likeness of God made he him. Here we have verse 2, male and female. That's right. When God created man, he created them male and female. And again, we can tell just by how God created us, by the parts that he created us with. So there's no need for a change of anything other than the fact the way that he created us. So it says in Genesis 5, verse 2, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So, so when it talks about man and woman, man in the Hebrew is ish, and out of man came isha, woman. So we know we were created in the image of God because, again, spirit, soul, and body. That's how we were created. So we see this again. Now the first Adam, and it talks about how do we know it's first Adam? Well, we have to go into 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter again, and look at verses 45 to 49. There's a first Adam and a second Adam. We were originally created in the first Adam. <clears throat> the first Adam was the head of the human race. He was the beginning, the head of the human race, and he was made in God's image in the realm of what? His own distinct personality. His five parts of the soul, which we know. And, and again, it's mind, emotions, will, self-consciousness, and conscience. Those are the five parts that make up the soul, okay? The individual personality that is to reveal a specific relationship with God through this human spirit, so different than any other creation. And that is even the reason why in Hebrews 2, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 18, that Christ put on humanity. Because even angels weren't created that way. It's pretty awesome when we think about it. When we think of how much limitations we have, and all our limitations are in the first Adam, they certainly are, aren't in who we are in the second Adam. 
It's limitless when we function in the second Adam. So the reason that he did, he created man with these five parts of the soul with a human spirit. And again, the human spirit, the spirit is my God-conscious capacity, my soul is my self-conscious capacity, and my body is this world, this earth, this world-conscious capacity. But he created us so that there could be communion. Communion speaks of fellowship, a communion. You're communing something back and forth. God equipped us that way. He gave us a human spirit. He equipped us with that to have this fellowship. Now, when we have communion and fellowship with him, it's always his desire, the initiation of intimacy towards us. Always desires intimacy. And he gives it to us in our own individuality so that the individual with him has a shared intimacy with him. And he provides us with all of that. It's kind of like a cause and effect. Okay? First cause. Whose who's first cause is God. He's uncreated life. Uncreated life. But with every cause, there's an effect. So he gave us this beautiful capacity to have this intimate exchange of a communion and fellowship that nothing could disturb or distract. And he gave it to us with our free will. He created Adam and Eve with a free will. Even after the fall, something he never took away. He just never took it away. Why? Because in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. He's not an Indian giver. And he created us in his image. It is so amazing when we think about that. But he created us to have that intimacy of fellowship in cooperation with him. (laughs) You have an operation, and those that submit function in a cooperation. So we have this operation with God between the individual. And that brings us to a place where we actually are with God. And when we function with God individually in a proper image, we function in his sovereignty. (laughs) So with God being sovereign and man being subject, having his will submitted, subject to his will, what do we have? This is what we have in such a beautiful way, perfect freedom. Because there's only freedom in God. Because is who is more free than God? God operates in the freedom of who he is. Nothing can change God. That's why even in Acts 5.39, if you fight against God, if it be of God, how do you fight against him? How can you fight against him? And obviously you can, but it doesn't avail very much. So there's perfect freedom in that. And we're going to see how God has done this in such an incredible way. But in this creation, right, created by God, created for intimacy, having intimacy, and Genesis 3 verse 8 brings it out very clearly. Before the fall in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, there was the voice of God, Christ in his pre-incarnate state, who would meet them. In this, in this beautiful garden, all they had to do was just keep it. There wasn't even need for rain. The mist was coming up out of the... God was just doing everything, prepared them, gave them a free will, 
spirit, soul, and body. And as long as that spirit took precedence over the soul, the God consciousness took over the self-consciousness, then the body would function properly. And we get at times things mixed up. And that's why I thank God for us in Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word that Christ is in us when we're in Christ through salvation. He separates us from self-conscious living and brings us into the reality of the freedom of who we are in an intimate fellowship with Christ. God consciousness, the human spirit. And that's how he created us, to have this image. Now, obviously, and based upon the scriptures in Revelations 13, verse 8, Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That's Revelations 13, 8. He's a lamb. That spoke that God always saw him in his eternal mind coming into time as a lamb. He put on humanity. Yes. Would there have ever been even an Adam created in the preponderance of God's mind knowing that he would fall and yet not have a provision. He would fall from a proper image, but yet God in his faithfulness, even before it was created, man was created, there was a provision. And that's why in Hebrews 4 verse 3 says, the works are finished from the very foundation of the earth. That's where we rest. Okay, That's where we rest. The soul rests when the spirit through the Holy Spirit, takes the things of Christ, shows them unto us, and we begin to rest in Him. That takes precedence over self-consciousness. Then we function properly, and then all those lust patterns that are in the, the human body as a result of the fall don't take precedence. Do you see the order? How precise God's order, even in the way that He created us. And even knowing that we would fail, every human being knowing that Adam was the federal head, the beginning, the federal head, would all fail in him. So in the genius of his plan, he allowed that to happen, not apart from the sovereignty of who the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So in other words, when Christ came, he didn't come to be a lamb slain. He was already slain in the eternal mind of God, but that eternal fixed purpose would be revealed in time. That's why, listen, for us, we're, we're in time. We're in time. But you know what the parenthesis for time is? It's eternity. Because there is going to come a time when time, in Revelation 10, verse 6, it's not going to be anymore. And we're going to enter into, in Revelation 22, 11, the fixedness of eternity. Because in eternity, things don't change. And thank God that Christ is our life, because in him there is no change. Thank God for that. We have that eternal life in us in 1 John 5, 11. But see, Adam fell. There was a time when he, was, he would come and hear the voice of God, God speaking to him. In Genesis 3, verse 8, it said the, the voice. If you have a voice, what must you have to hear? You must have a word. Who was this word then? In John 1, 1, it was the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the full thought of the Father. And you don't have proper thoughts and understanding without words. And Christ is the full thought of God. Thank God it was finished from the foundation of the earth <laughs> before he created anything. 
There was all the provision that every single one of us would need. There was a time when they came and heard, just heard his voice and there was an exchange. There was an exchange of this life because there was an, an initiation and there was a response. But then the tempter came in. The first temptation that they ever had, the first temptation that they ever had, they fell immediately, instantly. And when they did, what did they choose? They chose what? With their free will, they chose what? Against God. And thus, that was their own way from that point on. From that point on, it was their own way. Now we know and thank God for the scriptures in John 14, verse 6, Jesus Christ is the way. No other way. He's the truth. The truth and he's the life. And in those three these, they are the Greek article and they're pointing and they're saying, see this life, this is life, no other kind. See, this truth, this way, yeah, no other way. This truth, this way leads to this truth, no other truth, and you experience this life. There is no such thing as life outside of Christ. We know that based upon John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. He lights us up. And thank God we get the opportunity when we come uh, these times to be just lit up and sparkle with who we are in an intimate fellowship that we have and that's a beautiful portion that's revealed in Psalm 34, verses 5 and 6. But here we see Adam chose his own way. That's why in Acts 4, verse 12, there's no other means of salvation, none, other than Jesus Christ. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator, there's one go-between, between God and man fallen. It is Christ, the man Christ Jesus. Whenever you hear someone say about maybe their favorite pastor, that's the man. No, he's not. <laughs> the only place that ever says that, it refers to Christ alone. Just as much as it says that no man of God, no matter how gifted he is, is ever referred to as reverend. The only place that's ever mentioned is Psalm 111 verse 9, and it speaks of this. Holy and reverend is his name, and that speaks of his nature. It's that simple. And if we function in holiness, the reason that we do, and Adam never had to, he was innocent until he made a choice that fell. That's where we, no wonder it says in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, and in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, be you holy. Be holy. I'm holy. That's, that's our will submitted to him. We function in the obedience that Christ has won for us in our own individuality, and we're holy. Adam never had to be. But from that point on to fall, after his fall, then holiness is a choice to walk in what Christ has accomplished. And that was what, what God was teaching him, the, the voice of God, right? The voice of God. Christ in his pre-incarnate state was teaching them in Genesis 3, verse 15. You lost your image. You've lost it. You've lost it. But 4,000 years into the future, I'm going to put on humanity. And that's the promise in Genesis 3, verse 15, which would be the finished work of the cross of, 
of uh, Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified in John 19, verse 30, and he finished the work. What was Adam's start? The first time, the first test was what? The first test to see if he would obey became what? The temptation for his own will to function apart from God. And instantly he fell. Instantly. Instantly it was unchangeable. That's why, thank God, that wound in Jeremiah 30, verse 12 was what? Is incurable. Could God cure Adam anymore? Can he cure us anymore? Could he? Because we came from the same source in our beginning. Right? Could he? No, he crucified us by faith, by faith obedience in Romans 6, 1 through 6. So Adam chose his own way in this fall, relying on himself or his self-will under the prince and power of the air, the liar, the father of all lies in John 8, 44, the prince and power of the air that would cause Adam and any of us when we function in the flesh uh, to function in what? Disobedience in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. So we see very, very carefully, we see this very beautifully that he was what? He was loving just himself. Do we really love ourselves outside of God who is love? Or are we just functioning in lusts? Very selfish. That's why love, that's why love is self-sacrificial. There's not a thing involved in it. There's not a thing involved in this exchange of fellowship that has anything to do with the flesh or self. Not one single thing. And that even goes into proper worship, by the way. Again, the highest form of worship that there is is hearing, responding, and obeying the Word of God. That is worship. That is worship in its purest sense. That's a fact. That's a fact. And even when my emotions may be up or even down, it doesn't change the fact. That's why we need to build our lives on dependence in the Word of God, and even not our emotions at their height. We don't know people, and a person's emotions, even if they're good, or whether they're bad, we don't know them after that. We know them after who they are in Christ. That is an eternal, immutable, unchangeable fact. That is a proper image. So Adam is loving just himself. He loved just himself. Now, when, when Eve said here, <laughs> here, as a responder, and who is Eve? Okay, who is Eve? She's a type of us, the church. She got away from her head, Adam, and the enemy took advantage of it. Every time we get away from him, he hates it when we function in our proper image because God gets the glory and we get graced out and blessed with the light of an experience and an exchange of a proper image. We glorify God. And Eve got away from him. Isn't that interesting? Notice the order. The order is very, very precise in God. So she gave. And when Adam, she was deceived, by the way. Listen, can any of us, as his bride, get deceived apart from him? No, we will be. The moment we don't submit, the moment that we're not humble, when the light of the word comes on, it's not that we're going to be deceived. We already are deceived. And he deceives the whole world, Revelation 12, 
verse 9, the whole world of Adam, and you know that whole world system was brought out and is brought out in Genesis, the fourth chapter. If you read those first 17 verses, you will see how it was. The whole world system, whole world system was founded on the murder of the innocent one. The whole world system, rejection of Christ, this whole world, everything about it. There's not a single thing about this world system that has a thing to do with who we are in Christ in a proper image. It just has nothing to do with it. And again, so as a result, Adam with his free will, what did he leave? He left first cause, didn't he? He left God. That's what he left. And when he did that, when he did that, what happened? What was the effect of leaving God the cause? What was the effect? Immediately, he became self-centered. Do we think, do we think even for one second that when Adam functioned outside the order in absolute transgression, known disobedience to receive from his wife, he was doing that for her? No, he wasn't. He was completely self-centered because he didn't function in proper headship, in a proper image. And boy, oh boy, has that been the cause of so many things that have gone on, not only in the world, but have entered into the church, the body of Christ, in a complete disorder and reversal of God's order too, by the way. So immediately he became self-centered instead of God-centered. And as a result, he was dead spiritually. That's why in Genesis 2, verse 17, one commandment, just don't, here, every tree you can have. I mean, everything is yours. Everything is yours. Just don't touch this one. Just don't eat from it, by the way. Never said you couldn't touch it, but that's probably the first stage it wouldn't be too right to do, by the way. But he said, don't, don't eat of it. Because in the day that you eat of it, and really the Hebrew says in dying, spiritually separated from God, you will die physically. Okay? So in doing that, he became dead spiritually to God who is the source of all life. That's right. I don't experience a proper image. Do I experience a proper image? literal identity of who Christ has made me to be as my life. No wonder it says in Colossians 3, verse 3, you died. First of all, it says in Colossians 3, 1, in this context here, if you then be risen, if we're risen with Christ, are we in him? So since, since Christ rose from the dead, we see that, right? 1 Corinthians, the whole 15th chapter, read that. And then we see it in Romans 8, verse 11. If, Christ, if you then be risen with Christ, because he rose first, became the first fruits of all of us, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 20 and 23, if you then be risen with Christ, if and since you are, this is what it's saying, since you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your whole mind, let every thought be on the things above. What distracts us from the things above? Listen, proper image. Who Christ is glorified. What, what does that? Self-will living on the earth. 
Everything's about us. Every single thing's about us. And so this is what it says. Set your mind on things above. Listen, not on things of the earth. It's not saying, listen, it's not the world system. It's saying even the things that God has given you, the material things. By the way, every material thing we have, did it come from the earth? Just like our physical bodies did? Okay? We gravitate more to those things. Again, read Matthew, the sixth chapter, and read those 34 verses. This is what it says. Set your mind, your whole thought pattern, your whole mind, because if you think in the thought patterns of a proper image, those lust patterns in Genesis 3, verse 6, and in 1 John 2, 16, won't take precedence. Because if you live in self-consciousness, it speaks of self-will. You live in self-will, it's self-centeredness. And even Christians will preserve just enough of self, just enough to be distracted from a proper image. That's why Peter, again, in Matthew 26, verse 58, he followed Christ afar off on a hill. You know what the hill was? It's called self-preservation. I'm only going to go so far with you. I love what I see. I love what I hear, and I'm following you, but am I inwardly submitted in every single area? Because in every area that I submit, every area I function in a proper image. Huh? And listen, in my own individuality, and then begin to participate in a local assembly. Why? Why do we do this? Because in Colossians 3, verse 3, for you died. That's what the original says. It doesn't say for you are dead. No, it says you died, exclamation point. You died. The moment you received Christ, and this is what the Bible teaches us, he not only died for us, he died as us, as a substitute. And when we received him, based upon the scriptures, he paid for all of our personal sins. He only paid for the personal sins of those that would choose him as their substitute. The Bible's very, very clear about those truths, and we can see that in the type in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. And in Leviticus, we see those verses. In Leviticus, the 7th chapter and the 16th chapter, we see these types brought out crystal clear. But if I don't know them, what I don't know can I use it? God gave me that thought this morning. What I don't know, am I able to use it? If it's not taught, can I experience it? If I don't experience even what I'm taught through the submission of my will, can I use it? What do we have in ourselves? Truthfully, we, we don't have anything. There's nothing in the first Adam. There's nothing in the flesh in John 6, 63, in Romans 7, 18. That's any prophet. All our prophets in Christ. All of God's value is in his son, who was slain from the foundation of the earth, who finished it. And so, again, instead of being God-centered, he was self-centered, spiritually dead, and ended up dead in trespasses and sins. See that in Ephesians 2, 1. In this condition... In that state, in that condition, what did he do? What did, he begot a son in his own likeness. After his own fallen image. No wonder the psalm, David said. And again, listen to what it says in Psalm 51. And I'll read those verses so that we have a, a, a clear understanding of these verses. And in Psalm 51, this is what it says. 
in verse 4, against you, you only, that's very personal to each of us, you only have I sinned and done this, what, evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak. In other words, when God speaks to us, when we sin, those of us that are in Christ, the second Adam, how does he speak to us? Through justice that's met. We would need to be chastised as his loving children if that justice, the justice of God, hadn't been met so that that love that was one with it could flow to us. So that he may be just and clear. God can speak to us clearly. Why? Because he speaks to us through his son. Is that who we are in his presence? Yes. Clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. What is that? In her sin nature, she conceived me. And what did I come out as? A sinner. And that's why even here, and I, listen, I love babies and little kids just as much sometimes. Well, a lot of times they're much easier to be around than adults. (laughs) That could be true about me too. Stick around. Psalm 58 Verse 3 says, the wicked, who's the wicked? It's an unbeliever, one who refuses to believe. One who, in terms of salvation, has refused to receive Christ. And that can be the flesh and the believer who refuse to submit to the word. The wicked are estranged from the womb. (laughs) Boy. They go astray as soon as they be born. What do they speak? Lies. How was our... First, Adam nature formed. What formed it? Was it truth? No, it was lies. Everything about the flesh is a lie. Yeah, this lust pattern's going to fulfill you. You need this. You need this plus Christ. Really? Really? Well, he became dead in trespasses and sins, and in that condition, he begot those that were after his likeness in a fallen image. Again, image. Speaks of source. Source speaks of cause. Cause speaks of an effect. Those, those literally, we call them natural laws. Nothing natural about them. They're spiritual laws. They're unchangeable. They're unchangeable. That's why when God created people, he created them with eternal life. And they're going to live eternally somewhere, whether with him or apart from him. Never mind the annihilationist as much as you would never mind the universalist too. But again, he created them. And what did he do? He brought forth a sinful, ungodly, self-centered race, born dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. Now, why did God do that? Well, first of all, did he ever take away any person's free will? No, he didn't. Some would say, well, what about those that, you know, don't function right. They may be handicapped mentally and emotionally. They can't make proper decisions. What about them? They're safe. Just like a baby that doesn't reach the age of accountability, they're safe. All those babies in the womb, and I believe that life, life begins it in, in the womb, begins at conception. And every one of us, and then you have the argument about, well, the zygote and all. Listen, that's the beginning of life. You don't have life unless you have that. That's your start. I want to make that about clear. And that would do away with a lot of nonsense and false teaching 
that was brought out specifically, really, really brought out in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then entered into even people that I love in the 80s and caused all kinds of problems. Enough of that. <laughs> but again, this is what we see crystal clear in the scriptures. We were born spiritually dead. That's what John 3, read John chapter 3, 3 through 6. We were born spiritually dead. What's that? Separated from God. There had to be an impassable bridge gapped. That's Christ, our substitute. God had to be propitiated. His justice had to, in, in integrity and holiness had to be met so his love could flow through, but it could only flow through a substitute. And all those that would receive him would now be reconciled. God never had to be reconciled. He's unchangeable. Malachi 3.6, Hebrews 13.8, James 1.17. He's unchangeable. And furthermore, he's immutable. You can't add anything to him. You can't take anything away from him. You can't. Just think about it. The perfection of this image that each of us have in Christ. It's what he's bringing out in and through us in, the, in growth in time to prepare us to fellowship with him in eternity with an exchange that nothing will ever again interfere or distract. Just, just amazing when we think about it. So there was an image. There was an image. And this was God's purpose. How would God accomplish his purpose? Well, he would do that through Christ, and out of that would come what? A proper image. When we function in God's purpose, what do we function in? Proper image. Because can you separate my image from God's purpose? We can't. Because it's Christ. It's Christ. And this is a beautiful truth. So when we look at these things, and when we see these scriptures, for instance, when we understand this scripture in Hebrews, where we are right now in time. If you want to know where we are right now in time, this is where we are. In Hebrews, the first chapter, God, who at many, in many different ways, at, at different times, in many different ways, spoke in times past, in the time past, unto those fathers, old, all those Old Testament fathers, by who? By the prophets. <laughs> what did Israel do with all the prophets that God sent them when they were functioning in, this, in the fleshly nature, the old sin nature? They just wanted to kill them, and they stoned and got rid of a lot of them. Look what they did to Isaiah. Look what happened to him and Jeremiah and so forth. Well, God at that time spoke, but what is he doing right now? Based upon 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, we see Hebrews 1, 2. Have in these last days, listen, when, without a doubt, I believe, without a doubt, that was the only one that would, could have written Hebrews would be the Apostle Paul. The only one. A lot of reasons for that, especially how he ended each one of his epistles. That's how we can tell. But he didn't include his name in this one because of Hebrews 3.1, the great high priest and apostle of our faith. He wasn't going to put his name anywhere near that. Okay. But here, has in these last days, are we in the last days? I don't know, when was this written? How long ago was this written? 
has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. It's really even son, by the way. By son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he made plural the worlds. We've shared that in the past. Listen, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, Listen to what it says. And the express, the exact image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. In other words, he framed them in Hebrews 11.3 and everything stays in its course and does everything because he holds it there. And we see this in Hebrews 1, verse 3. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Who is God's word? How does God manifest himself? Who is God's power? When he had by himself, boy, I wish the covenant theologians and the Lordship Salvationists would understand the preponderance of all the scriptures, by himself purged our sins, (laughs) sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here we have our proper image. Here we have this beautiful proper image. So we see then that God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who being the brightness of his glory, this is what the Greek says, the outshining of a glorious image. Oh boy, that's what he's given to each and every single one of us. No one can shine like you and I can in the specific design that God created us in. That's why when we gather together in a local assembly, listen, and when we respond and receive the truth of the word, which is always telling us who Christ is and telling us who we are in him, his image, and who we are in in our image in him, that's why we become joints that supply in Ephesians 4.16. You are a joint that supplies when you and I function in Christ. So he's the outshining of a glorious image and the express, and when it says express in the Greek, it's saying exact duplicate. One image of his person. That's it. Here is the image of God, Lord Jesus, brought back on earth through Christ. All those types from Genesis, the third chapter, all the way through the 15th verse, all the way through all those Old Testament types and examples, all the way through till Christ when he came was born of a woman in Galatians 4.4, born in the womb of a 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 verse 35, born under the law to redeem them, to buy him back, could we do it ourselves? Did we have any money in Isaiah 55 verse 1? Could we buy him back? then why spend ourselves on anything? Why spend ourselves on anything else in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2? Well, here's the image of God brought back on earth. And you know that word in John 1, verse 1? God the Father, God the Son, and this eternal affectionate embrace that nothing could disturb or distract in John 1, verse 1. Same was in the beginning and eternity with God. God the Son came out based upon a Trinitarian conference, came out and put, the, put on humanity. He tabernacled himself in the likeness of the first Adam, 
But see, the first Adam had a sinful nature. He never did. But he had a human nature. Just to identify with us in a proper image. And boy, when we submit to him, when we do, guess what happens? The enemy flees. When he sees Christ in us, between him and us, when he sees Christ, he flees. That's right. He can't touch us. First John 5, 18. The wicked one touches us not. But so here's the image of, of God brought back onto the earth now, right now, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's God's last and forever eternal Adam. We have eternal life. You can't lose it. Oh, God. For those that would fuse justification, fact that we are cleared of all guilt and condemnation, by a righteous judgment of God based upon the righteousness that Christ is in us and not to fuse sanctification, not even to understand it. You can't lose what you didn't deserve to get that God gave you who will never change his mind. <laughs> Just won't do it. He doesn't change his mind. You and I received Christ. Listen, he sees us in the perfection of a personal image of his son that he created us. That's why it even says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you are saved by grace. Now, how do I keep experiencing that salvation? That say, through faith, keep on depending. Your position, now keep on experiencing a proper image. You're saved by grace. Through faith, and even that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Gosh, he does it all. He creates the fruit in Hosea 14, verse 8. You'll know them in Matthew 7, 16, and 20. You'll know them by their fruits. And even in their old age, as they submit in Psalm 92, verse 14, they'll bring forth continual fruit in their old age. Continually. Continually. Because without him, what can we produce? What can the branches produce? Can they produce fruit when they're not connected to the vine? When they're not submitted in John 15, 1 through 5? Without me, Jesus said, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You will not function properly in a proper image, and neither will I, until we submit continually. And that's what this life is teaching us. Constant, constant Constant submission. Yeah, I know. Humility. I know. Obedience. I know it's so hard to receive his love and return it back in an intimate communion and fellowship. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, but it won't be in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30 until we function with the yoke because that keeps us yoked up to him who's the source of our proper image so that we don't function in the fallen, ruined one experientially. So as we begin to, to tie this up this morning, here is the image of God brought back. God's last Adam, that's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. The work has been finished. And no wonder when, when John the Baptist he was preparing the way for Christ in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Preparing the way for Christ to come. We see that whole picture even in the first chapter of Luke. Right? Remember? 
I think it was um, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb was six months ahead of Christ. But when she, when she made that declaration that the seed of a woman in Genesis 3 verse 15 would finally be in this virgin, John the Baptist leapt in her womb <laughs> because he was going to be that voice that would cry in the wilderness and Isaac prophesying him in Isaiah 40 verse 3 and then he would cry out. Here he is baptizing them and preparing them for Christ and then he sees Christ come, walk right across his view and he cries out with a loud voice, oh my God, behold the lamb. Oh, there he is, proper image. There he is, behold the lamb of God which takes away the what? The sin, deals with the sin question, hasn't yet dealt with personal sins until the individual receives him. The fact that he received and dealt with their sins. He doesn't force himself on anybody. You don't. And God certainly doesn't. So as we wrap this up, we see this, the beauty of these verses. We see that our natural birth made us members of a fallen, sinful, first Adam race. But thank God, what a transition we have from the old sinful race to the new godly race about who we are in Christ with a proper image. So Father, thank you as we begin this and trust you, trust you emphatically for every word, every sentence to come forth from your presence in Psalm 17, verse 2, so that each of us and all of us together, each of us in our own individuality, can function in a proper image, a proper communion, an intimate fellowship and exchange of a love life that nothing can disturb or distract individually. Then we come together corporately. The world from the outside looks at that and says, oh my God, look how they love each other. They don't seem to be any different than us. But, oh, my God, how they love each other. So, Father, thank you. We praise you and thank you so much for you, for your Son, for God the Holy Spirit, for the Word, for the promises, for the body of Christ, for each individual here and those that would hear and respond to your Word together with us. In Jesus' name, amen.